Right on. Hey, Romans chapter 5, you can go there in your Bibles and turn with me to verse 12. And we're going to just read through this passage before we dive into it. And it says this in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just thank you for your word. This is an incredible text with a lot of stuff in it. And Lord, we just need your help. We need uh, the Holy Spirit to reveal the things that are in the word of God. Lord, we need your grace uh, for this passage. And so this morning, Lord, I just... I just pray for myself. I pray for our church, Lord. I pray for every individual, our church as a whole, Lord, but also for every individual that, that we would see what the Spirit of God's talking about here, that you would give us a, a spirit, Lord. Your word, truly, truly your word says this in Ephesians, that you give us a spirit of wisdom and knowledge so that we might know you better. And so this morning, Lord, by your grace, we ask for that spirit of wisdom and knowledge that we would comprehend Christ better, comprehend the life that we have in him better, comprehend your word better this morning, Lord, and, and we thank you for that. In faith, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool text here. Uh, he, he starts with these words, therefore, just as sin came into the world through the one man. Now, let me pause there just for a second. The word therefore is like, Blake was joking about it last week, and it is, it's, it's this joke where it's like, they say this, when you see a therefore in the scripture, you should ask, what's it, what's it there for? That should be your question. What is that therefore, therefore? And what I would say is this, is that here's how I would translate this therefore. Paul is saying this, here is how this works. Okay, so he's giving us a breakdown of how something works. Now, he's following on this same line of, of thought where we were a couple weeks ago. In this part of chapter 5, he's, Paul's going to just continue to share with us 
some of the benefits of our justification. When we were in the first half of this chapter, a, a couple of weeks back, I made this comparison that our justification is like discovering that we've been given our first key to the family home. Do you remember that? We had that talk, that, that access to the family home. Father has given you a key because you have been justified in Jesus and there are benefits that belong to you that you have access to if you'll enter into them. And so when we talk about our justification, which Paul says all of this is based on that fact, it, it, our justification speaks, about, speaks of the idea that in Jesus, we are seen as though we had never sinned. We're justified by faith. That's the, the whole conversation of Romans to this point, meaning that, that we have been made, every one of us who are in Jesus, we have been made acceptable to God through faith in Jesus Christ. We've been counted as righteous. Because of Jesus, we've gained the approval of the Father and the Father has given us access. And I pointed out six things a couple weeks ago that were in that text. Calvin's gonna flash them up on the screen and then they were this. Peace with God, access to grace, hope in which we rejoice, a change of perspective in regards to our suffering, God's love being poured into our hearts and we have received the Holy Spirit. Those are benefits of being justified in Jesus. And so the first half of Romans 5, that was essentially a lot of what, what we, we looked at and essentially all that was to say this, that in Jesus, we have received a new future. Remember this conversation that we had that, that we said that, this, that we always talk about salvation in regards to the past, which is great, but we should talk much more about salvation in regards to its present, effects upon our lives and its future effects upon our lives. Yes, we have been saved, past tense. But we are being saved in the present and we are going to be saved in, in the future. And our justification, our being made right with God should cause us to look forward. We should be excited about things that are coming ahead of us. Because in Jesus, we've received a new future. But Paul is going to continue now on this same line of logic and he is going to share with us that in Jesus not only do we have a new future, but we have a new nature. A new nature. And when you consider Romans, you know, I, I kind of, I, I have to be honest with you. I was like, when I was prepping to teach through Romans 5, I thought I'm doing the whole chapter in one shot. And then I got, I got hung up and, and I felt like the Lord was saying, what are you doing, man? Would you listen to me? You know, you, you got to break it up because there's too much here. I, th I thought that this was kind of like a nice window dressing chapter before we got to the good stuff in chapter six and seven and eight. And the reality is, is when, when you consider Romans, you, you can't move through to chapter six, which is about being dead to sin and alive to God, uh, not slaves of unrighteousness, but righteousness unless... You understand this, that in Christ you have a new nature. Look with me at verse 10 of chapter 5 for a moment. It says this. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Again, we talked about this two weeks ago that, we, we, that we're, we're always focused on the cross, which is right. We never take the focus off the cross. Never. 
But one of the things that we fail to emphasize in the story of Jesus, not enough, is the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. We're reconciled by his death, but we have life because of his resurrection. And Jesus wants us to enter into that. And so Paul tells us that we've been reconciled through the death of Jesus. And then he said this, how much more will we be saved by his life? And so the, the rest of this chapter, chapter five here, I would say this lays out a, a, a very simple but a very, very important principle. And it's, it's a principle that when we understand it, it helps us step into grace. And as simple as it is, I actually think that it's not simple. It's like super simple on the first read through and it's really not simple because the mind of the flesh really fights grasping what Paul says right here. So to set it up, let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered, just this question, thought to yourself, how through the death of one man could we all be saved? It's like, have you ever thought, how can, how can his one act of obedience affect us all so that we're all okay? Like, you know, I, I get it. I'm not like, you know, questioning the cross or anything, you know, but sometimes I have this question pop into my head. So I know it comes into your head too. So, so I don't question the sufficiency of the cross. What I question sometimes is the math of the cross. It's like one for many. I don't, you know, usually one plus one is two sort of thing. And sometimes I just wonder about that math that how does one man's sacrifice result in life for everyone? Do you ever think that? And so Paul is going to walk us through that question. He's going to walk us through, I, I was thinking, calling it the math of the cross. And what he's going to do to help us understand this truth is to see that it's a theological truth. That the math of the cross is based on a theological truth that, that hinges upon something that happened way before Jesus. Something that happened in, in Genesis. The pattern was set before the cross. The pattern was set for Jesus to come and save all of us with one act of reconciliation. The pattern was set with one act of rebellion. In Genesis chapter 3. We see that, that, that Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, there they are. A man and his wife, naked bliss, you know, with God, all of creation, this incredible thing, walking with him, just the perfect lies. And God gave them one law, just one law, one rule to guide life in the garden. And it was this, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know what happened. They, they entered in and they rebelled against God. They, they, they took the fruit and sin first entered the world because Adam was disobedient. And we know from the account of Genesis that, that Eve was deceived by the serpent, but Adam wasn't. That's what that story is clearly telling us. That, that Adam wasn't with full knowledge of what he was doing he did it and sin entered the world. Now look at verse 12 with me again. The second half of it says this. And death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. So, so he says this. Many were made sinners by one act. Condemnation. One, one man's disobedience made many 
sinners, condemnation. Now you think about it. The mortality rate, it's 100%. One out of one people die. That's the math in this world. And it's interesting because that's the result of sin. Mortality is the result of sin. But it's, what Paul is saying here is this, is that he, he's trying to show us that we're made sinners. This is important now. It, your, your fleshly mind will fight you on this. We are made sinners by Adam's sin and not by our own. Important to grasp that, that we are made sinners by Adam's sin and not by our own. We're born into his likeness. All, all sin and so all die. That's what the text says. But the reality is this, is that you were already subject to death before you sinned. You and I didn't come out of you know, our mother's womb and we were perfect and then we sinned. No, you were born in sin. That's what the scripture tells us. David said this in, in Psalm 51. We're going to read it from the New King James Version because I like it. But he, David said this. Behold, this is his confession and his prayer to the Lord as he's dealing with his sin with uh, Bathsheba. And he says this in verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, this might be a different way for you to think about sin to say, wait a minute, you know, I'm a sinner because Adam sinned and the answer is yes. And you might say, well, I thought I was a sinner because I sinned. And I would say, yes, the answer is yes. It's both. You're a sinner because you sin and you're a sinner because Adam sinned. But you die because of Adam's sin. We sin because death is present. Now, you, you just, just hold with me. We're going to walk through a line of logic here, okay? Look at verse 12 again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. And so when you read that verse, when you read verse 12, you know, pay attention to the end of it. It says this, death spread to all men because all sin. Now, that's a difficult statement to understand, there's lots of suggestions on what that means. Some have thought that it means this. Well, we all repeat Adam's folly. Like we all repeat him and, and so, you know, death spread because we follow his example. But that's not what this means. There are some who, who think that this means that we all inherit Adam's nature and therefore because we have his nature, we sin. Now that's true, but that's not what Paul is saying here. It's not what he's saying. It's not what it means. What this, what this means is this. Is that the, the, and like I said, I think we have difficulty accepting this at, at first. The natural mind and the unbelieving mind cannot possibly accept what Paul is saying in this text. That in Adam, we in fact all sinned. We in fact all sin, that, that in one act, the whole of humanity was included. That if no other sins had ever been committed in the history of the world, that one act of rebellion was enough that the entire human race was condemned in Adam. Literally, we're Adam's DNA. 
We were in him as he participated in that tree. You know, it's, it's interesting. We, we just, we're in a North American culture. We think very, very individualistically. But the Lord doesn't. You know, it's interesting. Paul, Paul says that in Jesus, the Lord is looking for one body. He's looking for, for one man. And in the garden, literally, we were in Adam's body. We're his seed, everyone in our church. The only reason we have life today is because life is passed uh, to us through human reproduction. Adam, all the way down. And that's not just true physically, it's true spiritually. Adam is the father of the human race. Therefore, when he commits that one sin, the whole of humanity sinned with him. The whole human race, we all sinned, and that's why death spread to everyone. To illustrate it, you know, think about a baby. The baby, a baby, long before a baby knows temptation, long before a baby has reached the age of responsibility, a, a baby can die. You know, like Lisa and I lost a baby when she was pregnant between Jonah and Eli. I think about Brian and Julie. They, they lost a baby stillborn at death, almost full term. It's like that baby didn't do anything wrong. But that baby was still subject to death even though it had never, it had never sinned. And the reason why is that it's just this. That baby is born in Adam. Born in man. Born in humanity. The whole human race sinned in Adam and is subject to death. And so Paul, Paul illustrates this further as he keeps going. Let's check it out. Verse 13, he says this. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who is to come. And so Paul says this, sin reigned in death before the law. Because of one man's disobedience, sin reigned in death before the law. You know, when we talk about sin and death and God's law, you, you know, we have to recognize this about the Old Testament, that the law, the law that we study and look at was not given to the Hebrew people until Moses was in his 80s. And what Paul is pointing to us is this, is that how about all the people before Moses? How about everybody that fits in the gap between Adam and Moses? You know, you go through Adam's genealogy in Genesis chapter 5 from Adam to Noah, and you'll see that the Bible clearly tells you so-and-so lived so many years, and then they died, and then they died, and then they died. And it's like, why did they die? Did they die because they broke God's laws? They had no knowledge of God's laws. They didn't have the law of Moses. Adam was given one single command, one law. Do not eat from that tree. And that was his law. Adam broke that law. And death came to him. And from that point on, people, humanity, were turned out of the garden. 
You think about all of Adam's descendants. Could they go and take from the tree of the knowledge of good and break the one law that existed? They couldn't. Only Adam had the opportunity to, to break that law. That law was given to him and it could not be broken again. God saw. He closed the garden. No one's going to break this law again. It had been broken once. And the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law of, of Moses were not given until many, many years later. And so when we talk about Adam's genealogy in Genesis 5, these, these people lived in this in-between period between what happened in the garden and the coming of the law. And they died. So why did they die? Well, Paul is telling us they died because Adam sinned. Man was under the power of sin before the law, and he says, so death reigned. Death was ruling in man. People who had no law died, and they died because the sentence was on the human race, and it was on all mankind, all sinned in Adam. That is the thought in verse 12. And you think about Adam. He was sinless. Adam was sinless. But Adam made a decision that had consequences for all of his descendants. He, he sinned against God and the nature of his descendants became subject to death. Death reigned. You guys with me? The consequence of choice. You know, it made me think about that. The consequence of my choice. I thought, wow. Now what choices am I making the, the patterns that follow through to my children and my grandchildren. It's like Adam made a choice and we've all suffered for his choice. This is the ultimate picture of generational sin or curse. And here's why this understanding is important. This is what Paul wants us to get. Jesus also was a sinless man. From the beginning... And Jesus also did something that had results for all men. This scripture tells us all over the place. Jesus came in the pattern of Adam. He's the first Adam. Adam in the garden, the first Adam. Jesus, the last Adam. Two men. Really, in the minds of God, two men have only ever existed, if you think about it in this sense. And here's why this understanding is important. That because Paul tells us that Jesus came in the pattern of Adam. He says, Adam is a type. That means this. That Adam prefigures someone who is to come. Adam sets the pattern for the next Adam. And really, in so many ways, in the eyes of God, like I said, there are just two men. The first Adam and the last Adam. Now, here's why this principle... Or here, here's where this principle about the spread of death through the first Adam is amazing. See, on the basis of the same principle, because of the human race, because we're all one, because really we have, we have one father in a sense, because we're all in Adam, because that principle is true, it is also true in the reverse sense. Just as one act of disobedience can condemn us all, Paul's telling us this, that one act of obedience, at one time, we can be made righteous. That, that, that everybody who is related to the second Adam will have righteousness as their life. 
Just as we share in, the, in, in death because of one man's act of disobedience, then we also are able to share in life that everyone can have because of one man's act of obedience. The principle of the first Adam's disobedience and the last Adam's obedience go together. That's what Paul's telling us. And you can't, you, you, you can have, here's what I would say. You can have both of these principles or you can have neither of them. That's what he wants you to know. You can have both of these principles or you can have neither of them. That's how the human race works. Because of one man's obedience, the whole, or sorry, disobedience, the whole human race dies. And we also see that because of one man's obedience, it is possible for all to have life in him if they will relate themselves relate themselves to him go back to verse 12 for me with me for again again for a moment it says this and so death spread to all men because all sinned and here's the problem of verse 12 if we take that verse to mean this that because that we're all condemned because we sinned because we copied the pattern of adam Therefore, then we have to take this same verse and apply it to Jesus in the same way. And then we have to interpret it this way. I have to copy Jesus to be righteous. Do <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You catching that? If I have to copy Adam's pattern to be condemned, I have to copy Jesus' pattern to be righteous. Do you get that? So Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You're condemned because of Adam. You were in him. You were in him. And this is really important because what he's telling us is this, is that you cannot be righteous by copying Jesus. We live in a world where they preach that. A lot of churches preach that. It's like you gotta just waken the Christ consciousness in you. You gotta do this, you gotta do that. You just copy Jesus. Jesus was just this man who lived a perfect life. And if you copy him, you can awake this deity within you. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You can't be righteous by copying Jesus. I mean, it's ridiculous. Think about it. Could we copy Jesus? No. That's a ridiculous thought to think I could copy him. And the whole point of the argument is that, that one man's sin was enough to bring death to you. Therefore, one man's righteousness is enough to bring life to you all. Amen. See how they go together? That's right. That's the math of the cross. You know, when you think, I don't understand how one man, that's the math of the cross right there. That's how one man can save us all. You and I have life. And we have life not because we copied Jesus. We have life not because we copied Jesus' righteousness. We have life because we're in Christ. I'm, I'm in Adam or I'm in Christ. And our life comes as we're in Christ. And this body... This body dies not because I copied Adam. This body dies because I'm in Adam. Do you understand? You guys with me? I just felt like this was tough to comprehend. Therefore, here's the truth. All of us are in Adam or you're in Jesus. You're in Adam or you're in Jesus. 
You can flash this up on the screen there, Calvin. I think it's a quote. I just wanted to throw it up there. You will die because of Adam or you will live forever because of Jesus and it will not be because you copied them but because you were in them. And so Paul begins to compare this difference for us. Look at verse 15. He says this, but the free gift is not like the trespass. So there's something different between what Adam gives and what Jesus gives. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The point is this. Jesus makes many people righteous. Justification. Because of one man's obedience, many were made righteous. And we call that justification. Adam's failure resulted in judgment. It resulted in condemnation entering the world. It resulted in death entering the world. But here's the math of the cross, Paul says. Here it is. Now, if if one man, Adam, can make us all guilty before God, then how much more, he says, can one man, Jesus, through God's grace, make us acceptable and right before the Father? He says, we're justified. We're justified. You know, again, think about it, the mortality rate. What is it? 100%. 100%. That is the mortality rate, 100%. But Paul is saying this, that the gift of God's grace, the gift of God's grace is more certain than the mortality rate. I don't know what's more than 100%. I mean, I'm just not that, I'm not a math wizard. <laughs> what's more than 100%? But Paul says this, The gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ is more certain. If you're in Jesus, more certain than the reality that death is coming is the the certainty of the fact that he's going to save you. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. The gift of God's grace is more certain than the mortality rate. You know, I've heard it said, of course, there's only two things in life that are certain. Yeah, thanks, Doris. Death and taxes. BC, you can tack on, you know, GST on top of that. I have missed you, Doris. You know, I was thinking about it. We don't look, I don't look forward to death. Who looks forward to death? That's ugly. It's like, it's like messy. It's, it's not innate to God's design within us. I mean, it's hardwired into our souls, into our psyches, into our hearts, into our minds, the desire to live. I want to live forever. Don't you want to live forever? The whole world wants to live forever. But here's the reality. We know death is coming. You know, fill these cheeks with Botox and the lips and dye the hair, whatever you want. Death is coming. I don't have any hair to dye. Uh, death is coming and the only hope we have for being saved from death is actually the second coming of Jesus. If you think about it, that's my only hope to escape death is should Jesus show up beforehand. Which, boy, I'd love that. And so what Paul here is telling us is really important. That God's grace, the gift of his unmerited favor is more certain than the reality of death that's coming for you. And so yes, Adam caused trouble for all of us. Pain and death and suffering, but Jesus, the, the last Adam, He lavished on us unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. You think about the first Adam, he he dropped the ball. The last Adam, 
He saved us. He saved us. Adam's action, the first Adam condemned us and Jesus' actions reconciled us. And much more, Paul says, now that we've been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Here's our justification. Check out verse 16. He says this, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. You know, when we talk about man's problems and the reality of death being as a result of our relationship with Adam, um, who, he, he fell in sin, he entered into rebellion. God's remedy is this, a relationship with Jesus. That, that's his remedy. And as we've seen here, like, like all of humanity and life is ruled by this dictator called death. And by just one man's sin, one man's rebellion, one man's offense against God, death reigned through that one man. However, Paul is telling us again that when we become related to Jesus through faith, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as faith. When we become related to Jesus through faith, then we can learn, Paul says, to reign in life. He says much more. We can reign in life. He said death reigned, but now in Jesus, you can reign in life. This is awesome, man. Where he goes. And there's two things Paul says are key to this. And I'm going to point them out to you. They're going to come up on the screen. God's remedy for those that are under death. Two things. And they're in verse 17. You might want to circle them. They are the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. The abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. And when you talk about those things, anyone who is in Jesus, any Christian, anyone who has come to faith and say, Jesus, I believe in the work of the cross and that what you did for me. I put my hope in you. I put my faith in you. I trust you for my salvation. Any Christian who has received Jesus has been given the free gift of righteousness. That's pretty cool. You've been given the free gift of righteousness. Abraham believed God, he was counted as righteous. And if you believe Jesus, you're counted as righteous. Now, that's the only way any of us could ever be considered holy or righteous before God. Yet, the interesting thing is this, is that having this, this gift of righteousness Credited, it's credited to us in heaven. Credited to our account. That does not automatically bring spiritual victory in your life. Have you noticed that? It's like, oh wow, I'm not always victorious over my stuff. I like fight against sin. I fight against lots of things. There's not always victory in my, in my life. And that's true for anybody who's in Jesus. That spiritual victory in our daily lives doesn't automatically come just because we have the free gift of righteousness. And many Christians, although they possess the gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus, they do not walk in daily victory. And so Paul wants us to discover how we can walk in daily victory. 
And the reason for this lack of victory is related to God's other provision, the one that I've numbered number one up there. The abundance of grace. Many Christians do not characteristically live just receiving grace, letting God pour grace into their lives. Many attempt to have victorious lives by doing everything they can in their human resources. They decide, okay, I got the gift of righteousness, now I'm going to copy Jesus. But copying Jesus never got you in in the first place. You get it? Copying Jesus never got you in in the first place. And it's like, you get the gift of righteousness and then step by step you like live this life and, and, and you think, I'm going to have victory by all of my efforts. And, and here's what Christians are trying to do when they do that. They're trying to copy Jesus rather than being found in Jesus. In Jesus. This, this victory comes from abiding in the vine. Victory is a gift. Did you know that? Victory is a gift. Victory must be received from the Lord. Paul said this when he was talking about death in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. His victory, not mine. Calvin, can you flash up the next one, man? I want to read this to you. It's a quote that I stole, but I love it. Give and receive is the language of grace which depends on the work of God. Earn and achieve is the language of law which depends upon the work of man. You know, in so many of us as Christians, we, we, we enter in by faith and then we earn and achieve during the language of the law depending upon the work of man. You know, it's interesting that the scripture tells us in, in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and it said about Jesus that he was full of grace and full of truth. And for those who have been forgiven by grace, there is the hope of a victorious life. And all it depends on is this, is that you would put your place in the dependency under, under the fountain of grace. Abide in the vine. There is a victorious life to be lived by just humbling yourself before the Lord and saying, God, I need, I, I need you. We sing it lots of Sundays. I need you. I need your grace. Jesus' success for us resulted not just in the gift of God's grace, but Paul tells us that, that those who receive this grace will reign in life. And you know, sometimes God gives us examples of that. I, I, can I be bold and just say, I like see an example in my life of reigning, Beth. I see an example in my life of reigning in life even though Adam is present. And it's in my buddy Murray, you know. I saw it in Sam too, Melanie. I saw it, his frail little body, and I saw a man who was reigning in life because Jesus was present and he was victorious. And it was like, yes, death was there, but there was a hope that was greater than anything death was doing. It was because of the grace and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You hang out with Murray anytime right now, you will see a man that is reigning in life. I can't, 
I don't know how you define that. You can't like, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like your eye test tells you one thing, but the reality, truth tells you something else. That there's a reigning in life. It's because of Jesus. And Paul says two things are at work for that to happen. The abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. I think about my two buddies that I just mentioned. They were men who understood the free gift of righteousness and God poured out an abundance of grace upon their lives. Check out those words in verse 17. He says, much more, much more. It's all throughout this text. I think it's like seven or eight times Paul says much more. It's a comparative term. It's comparing the work of death through Adam as compared to the work of life through Jesus Christ. Much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign through one man, Jesus Christ. Much more. The word of God is telling us that the gift of God's grace and the gift of his righteousness results in us reigning in life and it is more certain than God's judgment and it is more certain than his condemnation. That's pretty incredible. That's what the text tells us. Death reigned in Adam, but life reigns in Jesus. That's why Jesus said to Martha or Mary, whichever one it was, whoever lives and believes in me never dies. And he said to her, do you believe it? She said, yes, Lord. I believe you're the resurrection and the life. Look with verse, to verse 18 with me. Therefore, as one man trespassed led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience there were many made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's the math of the cross and it adds up. It adds up. Adam's sin brought condemnation to all men and Jesus' sacrifice brought justification to all who will believe. Now, I I guess the question might be, well, if I was already a sinner before the law came, then what is the purpose of the law? So Paul tells us, verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so he tells us this, that, that grace reigns in life after the law. That because of one man's obedience, grace reigned in life after the law. And so God's Perfect law exposes this. It exposes our flaws. It exposes our weaknesses. It exposes our sins. It makes sin really obvious. You know, the longer I walk with Jesus, it's like the more obvious my sin is to me. I'm like, seriously, God? But that's the purpose of the law. It's working to do that. It's to make sin obvious. And as it does that, Paul tells us two things happen. They're really important. The first one is this, is it shows us our need for salvation. I need grace. I need Jesus. The, the, the straight line of the law draws that really nice clear line and it just shows me, man, you are a crooked dude. The straight edge of the law serves to show us how crooked we are. The law shows us our need for Jesus. But the second thing is this, is it also, ex- the law also exposes our, as it exposes our sin, 
God's grace to us through Jesus becomes all the more amazing. Like that's why when you sing Amazing Grace, you're like, that song gets more and more meaningful the longer you walk with Jesus. Because grace is increasing to you. You're like, man, seriously, Lord, the more I know your word, I'm wretched. And your grace is amazing. Again, the end of verse 20 says this, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the straight edge of God's law, I would say, is this. It's awesome. Love God's law. Study his law. It's a gift because his law makes grace more amazing. It's like the more I love his law, the more grace becomes this sweet, amazing thing. Grace, Paul says, abounds to you in this case. And he says that grace also might reign through righteousness by faith, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, you know, when I go through this text, like this whole text, it really brings up one question. One question. And the question is this. Are you in Adam or are you in Jesus? Oh, man. Are you in Adam or are you in Jesus? You know, I think about that concept of the gospel being past, present, future. You know, in the past, I stepped out of Adam into Jesus, but I have this old habit of going back to Adam in the present, and I need to learn to abide. In He's saving me. And in the future, that transition is going to be total and complete and finished. Are you in Adam or are you in Jesus? And this principle matters because the question is this. Do you want to copy Jesus or be found in him? And we're either going to die because of Adam or we are going to live forever because of Jesus. And it won't be because we copied either one of them it will be because we were in them, in Adam or in Jesus. And my last page of my notes is gone. Dear Jesus, help me. <laughs> it's gone. The Lord knew my iPad wouldn't work. Oh, look at this. Thank you, Calvin. He had a copy of my notes today, so... Instead of like hanging them out to dry, you know, just blowing in the wind back there, trying to keep up with slides, I said, how, how about I like give you a copy of the message and I'll highlight for you when I want you to change slides. I was thinking about this. Remember last week when Blake told us that funny story about the girdle? You guys remember that? So I went home this week. I looked up girdle. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. He, he, he told us not to do that. But he was chatting about First Peter and Peter's saying, you got to gird up the loins of your mind. And, um, and chatted about this idea of what a girdle is. Well, like I said, I didn't go home and look that up, but I did come across a quote this week that I thought was interesting. I thought, wow, cool, Lord. It's just neat how you like to tie things together. So I want to give you this quote. It's from Thomas Goodwin. He said this, In God's sight, there are only two men, Adam and Jesus, and these two men have all other men hanging to their girdle strings. <laughs> it's good, eh, Blake? And in, in, 
you know, that, that's the point. Either you're in Adam, in which case death is your king, and you're fighting a losing battle with death, or you're in Jesus and life is yours and you're the victor over death. And if you deny Adam's one act of disobedience that brought death to the whole human race, then in the same breath, this is important, in the same breath, you've denied the possibility of one man's act of righteousness giving you life. The two go together. That's why Paul's telling us this principle is important. That you've been condemned because of Adam. It, it, you can't have it two ways. And, and so if, on the, on the other hand, you see that one act brought death to all humanity that was in that man, so then when he sinned, all sinned, and therefore death spread to all men, if you understand that, then you've answered the question, how can the cross save us all? In the exact same way, one man's act of righteousness, one man's perfect obedience, his obedience, the scripture says, even to death, Jesus, who gave his life on that cross, can bring you life, and God will accept you because you're in Jesus. And so you're either in Adam, in which case you die forever, or you're viewed as being in Jesus, in which case his one act on the cross has redeemed you, and his one life, and in his one life, you can have life. It's kind of a cool thought to just think, I've been saved, I'm being saved, and in the future, Jesus is gonna finish this work of salvation. And, and, and like I said, unless Jesus comes back, then as an Adam, I'll die. But so in Christ, we'll be made alive. We're born in Adam, descended from his genes, but in Jesus, all will be made alive. And so, you know, um, we don't really get the chance to go there, but, but death is reigning over humanity. Death is still reigning over humanity. You know, over the greatest of minds, the smartest of people, the youngest of people, the poorest of people, the richest of people, the, wh whatever. Death is reigning, but there's a solution and it's to be found in Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I want to pray two prayers this morning, okay? The first prayer is this. An invitation to be in Jesus. I'll explain that in a minute. The second prayer is this an invitation to abide in Jesus. The second invitation is for believers who already have the gift of righteousness. It, it's a, a prayer to say, Lord, for the cause of victory and for the sake of your name, I want to enter into grace in newer ways in my life. And so I just ask you to bow your head, close your eyes, and uh, just respect your neighbor around you. If, if, look, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you've walked with Jesus at a time in your life and you've just chosen to live life in Adam and, and you maybe even just want this prayer to be the opportunity to say, Jesus, I want to be found in you. I want to be in you. Look, outside of Jesus, you're condemned. Outside of Jesus, there is no hope for you. There's no hope. Death is coming. It's knocking at the door.
and it will have its way. The only solution is to be found in Jesus. And so I want to give you the opportunity this morning. If you just say, man, I'd like to invite Jesus into my heart and life. Would you make eye contact with me? I'd just like to pray with you this morning, okay? Or you can raise your hand. It's kind of dark in here. Thanks. And so Jesus, we thank you that to be found in you takes a very simple act. Again, we don't have to copy anything. Just say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I recognize that death and sin are present in my life. And I have no hope if you don't save me. And so Jesus, we invite you to come and save. Lord, to to bring forgiveness of sin and victory over sin. And Lord, that in those lives, you would reign. Lord, we thank you for the free gift of salvation. We thank you, Lord, that righteousness is a gift from you. And so, Jesus, we move from sin, from Adam, into you. In your name, Lord. Amen. Second prayer I just want to pray this morning is for God's grace. I'm not going to ask for a response from you, but you know in your own heart. If your life has just been an Adam, if you've been copying Jesus and you're like, I'm, I'm, victory is missing. The victory is missing. Lord, I need victory. This is a prayer for grace. And so would you just bow your heads with me and just agree with me. Father, I see that grace is your resource for living in Jesus. For living like a victor. For living like an overcomer. For reigning in life. And so Lord, just before you this morning, I humble myself in your son. I humble myself in Jesus. I need your grace, Jesus. In faith, Jesus, I reach out to you. In faith, I trust you to provide the grace I need for victory. I trust your grace, Jesus. I'm not going to try and copy you. I'm going to trust you. Would you bring victory in my life? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.